0: Welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the number one podcast for Airbnb hosts and short-term rental professionals. You're listening to an episode of The Host Show. I am your host, Jasper Rivers, and we release an episode of this show every single Monday. In these episodes, I interview Airbnb hosts from all around the world to share their stories and provide tips and tricks on how to get started and be successful as an Airbnb host. Now, if you haven't yet, make sure to sign up for our upcoming workshop. Go to overnightsuccess.io slash workshop To claim your spot you'll have a chance to work directly with eric and myself to help you improve and skill your airbnb business so this is not a presentation we'll be actually giving you exercises that our students have gone through to build their businesses to a million dollars and beyond through the legends x program so you're going to be implementing Together with us, we'll be coaching you directly for two hours. So it's going to be powerful. Sign up at OvernightSuccess.io slash workshop. It's completely for free. Now let's dive into the episode. Welcome to podcast episode number 488, we're Getting pretty close to the magic 500 number. Today, I'm talking about scaling the ownership model in a secondary market with Rob Scarborough. He is the founder of Just Like Home Vacation Rentals. He's a recent graduate in the Legends X program. And we're excited to, to chat about this topic. Rob, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is my first podcast, and I am blown away that it's it's for the Get Paid for Your Pad podcast this is, this is big time.
0: (laughs) Awesome. That's great to hear. Have you listened to, to some episodes in the past? I think I'm somewhere around 380
1: trying to catch up,
0: but yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, that's great to hear. I'm excited to have you on the, on the show here. So there's two topics that we really want to talk about. Number one is the, is the ownership model. And I'll give you a chance to give, give us a background of what you've built so far. But essentially there's free models, there's the ownership, there's the master leasing, and there's the management model. So we're uh, we're interested to to learn more about why you chose this model, what are the pros and the cons? What are some challenges? And then also um, you know, being in a secondary market, right, is interesting as well. What are some pros and cons of that? So before we get dive too deep, why don't you give us a quick backstory of how you got started in this business?
1: Sure. I have a, a full-time sales job that Keeps me fairly busy, but it also allows me a lot of flexibility. So in 2014, 2015, I got into flipping homes and had a really successful run at that small scale because it was a part time side hustle type thing. And in the end of 2017, I ran into an issue that a lot of flippers run into, and I had a contractor with about two weeks left on the job bail on me. And it kind of threw me off a little bit because we had three other homes lined up that I'd already paid him 50% down. And and yes, I'm aware you should not prepay for labor the way I was doing. But this was a guy that we had done six or eight successful flips and and moving right on down the road. And I was contemplating doing that as a full-time job. So. The end of 2017, he he calls me up, says he's out of money, even though I'd already prepaid him 50% on two or three future homes, and he needed more. Said there was no more to give, so he left. Next contractor comes in, and maybe some of your uh, listeners can relate, but when that new contractor comes in, the first thing they do is they point out all the things the last contractor did wrong. And they can't move forward unless they fix those things. So needless to say, that project went over budget. I ended up putting it on the market. And I had a real estate agent come in and tell me what we could sell it for is actually going to make a little profit. I was blown away, sat on the market for three months in a hot market that nothing was sitting on the market for three months, kept lowering the price. And I just happened to hear a podcast bigger pockets podcast on short term rentals. And I thought, well, I can take a loss on this or I can try something new. And so I am an accidental Airbnb short term rental host. It went live on Airbnb in January of 2018 and within 6 months I was hooked. And at the time I had a couple different partners that were I was using their money to fund flips their money along with hard money or or small local banks for construction loans, but it was a combination. And within about six months, all three of the partners were like, why are we doing flips that the taxes are obscene? Let's hold on to these and build wealth. And I was 100% on board. So by summer of 2018, we, we devoted all of our efforts to building a short-term rental business. And we didn't have huge growth. We still don't have huge growth. We're we're doing, we're adding two to three properties, two to five properties a year, partially because I love my full-time job. And, and if my boss ever ever hears the podcast, I love my job.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but you know, this is definitely interesting being able to build and scale especially with the tools that legends X gave us to my wife and I to really grow this beyond what we thought we could. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's kind of how we got into it right now. We're managing 15 properties. We have ownership in in 12 of those. We have four more properties coming online where we're in the process of furnishing them. And we have ownership in, in three of those. So Ownership is still a big part of our management, uh, of our business profile. But late last year, I decided it was time to try to monetize some of my experience. And and that's why we opened it up to managing other people's Mm -hmm. properties.
0: Yeah. Yeah. As so many of us, you you got into it by accident. I'd say like 90% of the people I speak with. So I guess for you, it was kind of a natural flow to go into the ownership model because you were already buying these homes so i guess it wasn't really like a a cautious decision of like hey i want to get into airbnb which model should i choose um it was just a natural natural process for you i'm curious to understand like your your decision you're you're now also open to management so you recognize like hey through building this business I've, i've gained skills i've gained knowledge and i could be using that to monetize by managing other other people's properties, right? How's that absolutely. experience so far?
1: It's been good. Obviously, there's a learning curve to any new skill, and and managing other people's properties is absolutely a skill that you know I'm still learning. I will say that the the, the Legends X program gave me the confidence. I actually parted ways with my first owner. He was very good guy we're still on on good terms but a lot of his processes that he wanted in place were were very one off from my flow of business and it it got to the point where we just had a good conversation and said look if we're not able to line things up with my business structure then you know you're probably best managing this on your own and i never would have had that confidence without going through that program and, and learning how important those processes and structure is to being able to scale.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I, I guess that's one of the, the biggest differences between the ownership and management is now you're dealing with other owners, right? Would you say that's the biggest challenge when it comes to the management side?
1: Absolutely. When our properties have an issue, I'm able to pick up the phone and call the plumber, call the electrician, call the HVAC guy. And now I'm calling an owner, letting them know they have an issue and it needs corrected as soon as possible because we either have guests in the home or guests are arriving tomorrow afternoon, but whatever the case and relying on someone else to get stuff done is Mm -hmm. an interesting challenge.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Well, so we, we, we already touched on one of the big advantages of the ownership model is that you don't have to deal with anybody. You own the asset. What are some other advantages or things that you really enjoy when it comes to this model?
1: So on the ownership side, coming from somewhat of a real estate background and the flips that I was doing before, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, pick your real estate book. Long-term wealth is gained through ownership. That's why the arbitrage model never really made sense to me. If I'm going to invest the money, I would much rather own that asset, control it, and then get all of the perks of ownership, paying down the mortgage and, and the tax benefits and everything that goes along with owning a home, an investment property. So yeah, that, that's probably the, the biggest advantage in my opinion.
0: Mm-hmm. Are there, any, are there any cons, any, any disadvantages that you can think of?
1: Absolutely. As the owner or partial owner in 12 properties, keeping up with the maintenance, we're, we're three and a half, four years in on, on several of these properties. And, and some of that maintenance, like it's, it's time to do something. It's time to retile a bathroom. It's time to, but whatever that maintenance fix is, And when it was just one or two properties, I can just run over there in between sales calls and knock it out. No big deal. But I don't have the capacity to do that anymore. So growing that subcontractor handyman network is huge right now for for where I'm at in the business. The the hectic host is 100% where I'm at right now.
0: (laughs) What are like the best ways to find these people, especially because you're in a smaller market right? Well,
1: we are in a, in a smaller market, but you know we're Kansas City as a whole is a fairly large market there's contractors you can't shake a stick without finding a, a contractor, finding a good contractor, one that's going to stick around, one that's going to do what they say they're going to do that's a lot of trial and error, a lot of asking other people in the industry, keeping, keeping a network of other real estate investors and Hey, who are you using for this? And would you recommend them? That, that's where my best contacts have been made.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. If someone's listening right now, thinking like, Hey, this all makes sense, you know, owning the assets, especially with, you know, inflation is kind of out of control now. So that's a focus for a lot of people uh, is, You know, owning these assets. Like, if you had to start over again, what would be like three things you would have done different, or three pieces of advice that you would give somebody new?
1: If I were to start over again, wow, I would say be open and and flexible to new ideas. I am a terrible goal setter. the The pillar in the Legends X that was my my most difficult pillar was setting goals because. In my mind, if I would have set the goals of "I want to flip 10 homes a year," maybe I wouldn't have been open to the idea of trying short-term rentals. I would have mm-hmm. sold it for a loss, moved on to the next, and, and that would have been it. And, and this whole new chapter of my life possibly never would have been opened. Mm-hmm. So be open and, and flexible. be ready to pivot. We'll stick to the three tips for, for now, but I do want to get to that smaller secondary market and and pivoting, because through COVID, we learned a lot of valuable information for our business model. If you're using other people's money, friends, family, acquaintances, talk about what you're doing, talk about what your goals are. And and you'll be surprised how many people, especially now, have cash sitting on the sideline. And short-term rentals is the new hot, sexy thing that everyone wants to be in. And really all three of my partners, they want to be in short-term rentals, but two of them at least haven't visited the majority of our properties. They can say that they're, they're doing Airbnb, but they're silent partners because they have this cash, they're busy doing their own thing. And the skills that we've learned allows us to use that money. But if you're going to use other people's money, you have to be extremely transparent. Be willing to take a loss on your end to keep their money, their investment intact. At least that's that's my business model. That that's my that's how I treat my partners. And because I have the full-time job, I think it allows me to take a loss on real estate. If if I make a mistake or something bad happens, I'm able to. It's not putting food on my table at this point, not yet, anyway.
0: Yeah, Um, for sure.
1: So, the the third tip if you're going to partner up and get into the ownership, treat the management side as a separate company from the beginning. For all three of my partners, because of the way our businesses evolved, I've had to go back to them and, and say, look, you know, my management side is taking off. The flat rate that I was charging early on and you know, running over as a handyman and fixing things here and there, that's not sustainable. And now we have to renegotiate, be open to changing some of the terms of of how the property management side of our company works, which is separate from the ownership side. And if you're just starting out, keep that in mind. It's two completely separate businesses that just happen to be in the same industry.
0: Yeah. No, that's great advice. That's how Eric and I set it up for for our new business as well. And even if you're not planning to manage other people's properties, is it's it's still best to have those two separate companies, right? Because they're it's they're two different businesses, as you mentioned, and it just saves a lot of headaches in the in the future. So that's really important, you know, to set up your business the right way in the beginning. Because that's just gonna, like I said, save you so much so just to recap, your, your tips were number one, be flexible, right? I think that's, that's great advice, especially when in the early phases of any business, I would say, we have to be re- always be ready to pivot because a lot of times when people start a business, what they end up doing is actually different from what they started out with, right? I mean, look at Airbnb itself, right? They were, they were to, Their plan was to rent out airbeds, right? <laughs> it's a little yeah, different now. yeah. that's good. Number two is be really transparent with your investors. Like I like that approach because it's basically focusing on the long-term, right? It's like, what's that expression? Like you can lose battle, but you know, you want to win the war, right? You have to take a, take a small, you know, take a cut or something, but keep the trust and relationship with your investors. I think that's a, that's a smart strategy. And then number three is what was number three? I forgot number three now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Number three is operate the management side as a separate business from the ownership.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. That's, that's, that's really good advice. Let's talk a little bit more about, I guess one of the biggest challenges with ownership obviously is like, it's, it's a bit harder to scale fast, right? I mean, that's, this is the reason that rental arbitrage is so popular, not so much anymore because now through COVID people, people have seen like what the risk is there, but, Obviously, it's much easier to sign a couple of new leases than to purchase a few more assets, right? And especially because of the, the financing too, right? You have to you know, find the money and make the deal with the, with the investors. What, what do you think for somebody who wants to start out, what's their best approach to finding partners to invest with?
1: So if you're talking about actual investors that are, are going to put money into the deal, talk about what you're doing. One of my partners is in the same industry that I am for, for my full-time W-2 job. We were on a business trip together and I was telling him about, you know, what we were doing or what, what the plans were for flipping homes. And, you know, this is a guy that I've had maybe three conversations with total in my life. And we were just having some drinks on a business trip. And he's like, well, you know, I have a little money That's not working for me. If, if you come across a deal, talk to me. And, and literally if I would have never said what I was doing in real estate, that whole partnership never would have come about. So, so just tell people what, what your goals are, what your vision is, what, what you're interested in, in doing. And you just never know who has that 10, 20, 30 grand sitting in an account not working for them or maybe earning negative interest. It's, it's crazy what, what banks are, are doing. But so, so that's on the, on the partnership side, the investor side, but also go talk to your small local community banks. It's amazing some of the programs that they have that the Wells Fargo's or, or that the big national international banks, they want nothing to do with small guys like us. What those small local banks, for example, one, one in our community on any type of rehab project, you put up 20% of the purchase price, whatever that purchase price is. And I've, I've bought a home for 5,000 before that needed a hundred grand in renovations. And I put up 20% of the purchase price and they financed. 80% of the purchase price plus 100% of the rehab, up to 80% of what that home is going to be worth when we're finished with it. So, for literally a few thousand dollars, we purchased a home that on the backside was worth 150,000, 160,000 a couple years ago. So, go in and and talk to those local bankers. First conversation I, I had. I walked into the what I found out was the bank vice president's office and he said well what are you looking for and I said well how about a $500,000 line of credit open ended no no questions asked and he kind of chuckled and said well I don't think I can do that but and and that relationship with that bank has grown and now one of my partners is an employee of that bank and and she's fantastic she she has her ears to the ground on the bank's perspective of real estate and rehabs and multifamily apartment buildings going up. It's, it's amazing the amount of information that that she brings to our partnership. So you've got the other people's money, the the partners, and then I consider our local banks partners as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's something we, we were just out in Mexico on our uh, Astro Legends Mastermind. And that's something that I hear a lot from people that work on bigger scale with banks is that relationship with the banker is, is really important. Actually, one person mentioned like, there's only one person who, when I get a call from that person, he wants to hang out. It's my banker. It's the only person that no matter what, I'll <laughs> say yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. At the end of the day, that they have your best interest in, in mind as well. I've had bankers tell me that this is not a good deal, and I've stayed away from it. I kept tabs on it, and the next investor did not fare so well on that project because he had a hard money lender or, or someone who has just given him money without really underwriting that deal for everyone's best interest so that they can, they can save you a lot of money too.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm really seeing them, I guess, as a partner versus versus a bank, right? And so what I'm getting from what you're saying is number one, it's everything is about people, everything is about relationships with people, right? And then number two is, you know, I think a lot of people who want to get into owning real estate, in their mind, it's like, oh, I need to find an investor, which is like, you know, this this big company or this 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 you know person who has like millions and millions of dollars. Versus, like you said, if you just look in your, in your personal network, right? That's how Eric and I found our first investor too, It's just like literally just talking to all of our friends and everybody that we know without pushing, right? Without saying like, hey, man, like I got this deal. Like you want to invest? No, just saying like, hey, this is what we're building. And, you know, without asking anything. And then eventually it's, you know, you get you get that interest of like, hey, what's happening on your on your end? Like, are you guys investing in anything or, you know? they'll, they'll start warming up to the idea and then like, they'll come to you. Right. So at least that's, that's been our experience so far.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was our experience as well.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Before we uh, wrap this up here, let's talk quickly about your, your market. You're in Kansas city. You know, how many people live there? Just, just to get an idea. So
1: Kansas city proper, probably a few million, but the suburbs that surround it, I should probably know this. We're we're yeah. a lot bigger th- than you think. I'll throw a number out of like ten million total in all of the surrounding suburbs that consider Kansas City. If you're talking to someone on a plane and they say if they're from Kansas City, you know that that would include all of those suburbs and surrounding communities.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're not far off. Just Google it. Metropolitan area two point four two point four million. So that's that's a lot of people. In my mind, I was thinking, you know, it's maybe six, seven hundred thousand. So that's as you mentioned, that's a that's actually like a pretty pretty big market, but it's not, you know, it's not like a, a famous like city like Los Angeles or New York or something like that, right? So now, now the, you're
1: offending Chiefs fans worldwide right now by uh, by saying it's uh-oh.
0: not. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll lock my door tonight, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but tell us a little bit about like what is it like being in in, in that market?
1: Yeah, so just like any any large or a medium-sized city, there's rough neighborhoods, there's good neighborhoods, there's high-end neighborhoods. And, and we tend to focus on all, all of our homes are, are what I would consider your first-time homebuyer type properties. Our business model, I was in the mortgage industry from 2000 to 2005, but was, was watching what happened in 07, 08. And interestingly enough, in in Kansas City, during the worst real estate crash in maybe our lifetime, or at least since the Great Depression, the first-time homebuyer homes barely slowed down. They were still being bought and sold. So as a risk tolerance for myself and my partners, we really like that first-time homebuyer price range. Now, that number has skyrocketed from you know, we, we might have been able to to buy and and rehab a home and be all in for seventy five thousand dollars, and that's that's another thing. We we like to buy the rehabs to force appreciation. It's it's rare, although we've had to do it recently, that we ever buy retail, because it, it's just not our normal business model. We we like to buy the fixer uppers. We're we're into it for. 80% of what it's worth when we're done. And then we can let the markets fall and, and come back up. We don't have huge appreciation. We, we don't have huge drops in our market either. So that first time home buyer market allows us to feel comfortable about our assets. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think the most we've ever spent on a home, it was probably a retail project that we just, uh, our our home that we just purchased, it's completely rehabbed already, and we just spent $225,000 on it. Mm -hmm. That's at the edge of of our comfort level.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, you can probably get a small little closet for that money in New York. So
1: So what's interesting to me and and what I realized, I guess that the clarity came is in our pod, we had people from San Diego and and Joshua Tree, and obviously those those markets are a lot more expensive than, than ours. And I think the the way that those hosts were differentiating themselves were were with a luxury style. I think both of them had had some sort of lux in their name, their actual branding name, and because we're in the first, we're, we're in the the price point that we are we don't have big murals a hashtag instagram mural on any of our walls we don't have a star wars themed home <laughs> it, it's the, the name of our business is just like home and our guest avatar is a lot like my wife and i it's we're not going to spend $1000 a night to stay in an instagram worthy place even when we vacation because mm-hmm. for us, the, the home is just where we sleep and maybe we cook a little bit, but we're there to see the city or, or whatever that attraction is that brought us to that part of the country or that part of the world. So that's how, how my hosting personality is. So what we learned through COVID is that a lot of our counterparts that have those big, beautiful, expensive homes... They really got hurt during COVID because those travelers were not traveling as much, if at all. Mm-hmm. For us, because of our price point, we still had construction workers coming to town. We absolutely love construction workers coming to town because they're in our homes for three weeks or three months at a time. And they get up at 7 a.m. They don't get back to the home until 7 or 8 p.m. and They shower, go to bed, and do it again the next day. Mm -hmm. The maintenance, we don't hear complaints out of the construction worker because They just want a comfortable bed and maybe a place to cook a meal with the guys. So for for us, during COVID 2020, by the end of the year, we were only down 10% revenue year over year. And I know other hosts that were down 75%. So for us, that solidified our business model and, and where our risk tolerance is.
0: Mm, yeah. That all makes a lot of sense. I remember in uh, 2008, I was actually uh, working in Chicago as in, in finance. And I I remember, well, first of all, like I was trading through the crash. So it was pretty interesting times, but also I remember like the, the real estate in some of these places, like Miami, for example, it was crazy. I remember there was uh brokers from Miami that like literally came down to our office to recruit us to come over to Miami and take a look at some of these condos because they were, they were so desperate to sell these things, you know, which to me was like kind of crazy. Awesome. Uh, Rob, thank you so much for for sharing your advice. I think this is, this was, this was awesome. Thanks for taking our course as well. You, you mentioned a couple of things that you learned in Legends X and we are actually doing a a workshop which is going to go live next week? You can already sign. Everybody who's listening right now, you can already sign up for it. Overnightsuccess.io/workshop. Uh, and the idea behind the workshop is actually to to give everybody an opportunity to kind of get a taste for what it's like to be in in Legends X. You mentioned like guest avatar, like creating the the vision pillar. Right, was the the hardest part for you. That's actually what we're going to be focusing on in the workshop. Where we're, we've taken a few of those smaller pieces and. In two hours, we're going to actually help everybody on the workshop to dial in some of these, some of these steps. And as a result, just like you said, like it just gives you a little more confidence of understanding, you know, how to make decisions when you understand, like what, what do you actually want to build? Like who you're serving and all that good stuff. So for everybody out there who's listening overnight slash workshop, it's a, it's about two hours. You'll be working directly with us and yeah, it's free. So good opportunity. To learn. So, Rob, thank you so much, man. And good luck with everything. Let's stay in touch. And yeah, let's say any final thoughts?
1: I don't think so. Uh, I think the, the next few years in the short term rental industry is going to be really interesting, especially for my market. There's every real estate meetup, everyone's talking short term rentals. So, mm. it, it'll be interesting to see what market saturation looks like in, in a secondary market like ours
0: hmm Got it. If people are listening right now and they want to stay in Kansas City or potentially work with you in the future, what's the best way to contact you?
1: Email is the best way. And my email is rob at justlikehomevr.com.
0: Rob at justlikehomevr.com. Awesome. Sounds great. All right, Rob. Well, thank you so much. And to the listeners, thank you for listening. And of course, we'll be back on Friday with another episode. Have a great week. Thank you so much for listening to Get Paid for Your Pad, the number one podcast for Airbnb hosts and short-term rental professionals. Really hope you enjoyed the show. And if you want to learn more about hosting on Airbnb and building your short-term rental business, then go ahead and sign up for our free upcoming workshop. Go to overnightsuccess.io slash workshop to claim your free spot you'll have a chance to work directly with Eric and myself to help you improve and skill your Airbnb business so this is not a presentation we'll be giving you exercises and helping you implement things into your business that's going to really help you skill so sign up at overnightsuccess.io/workshop i look forward to get seeing for you there
1: get paid for your pet get paid for your pet